Welcome to the introductory episode of the Power of Partnership podcast. I'm Rianne Eisler, founder of the Center for Partnership Systems. This podcast brings you voices from the partnership movement, people using partnership practices to build a world that values caring nature and shared prosperity. The Power of Partnership podcast is hosted by Cherry Jacobs Pruitt, a health policy and partnership scholar. Today's episode describes my journey pioneering the partnership movement. And now to today's POP, Power of Partnership podcast. Welcome, Rian. It is such an honor to be interviewing you for this first episode of the Power of Partnership podcast. Your research, writing, and speaking on cultural transformation has changed the lives of so many people worldwide, and I'm thrilled to be able to share so many of their stories through this podcast. Can we begin today by you sharing with us what led you to develop the partnership movement? Well, thank you, and it's a pleasure to be with you, and I am delighted to do this interview. Um, I start with my childhood because my passion for this work, and yes, I have a great passion for it, is rooted in my early childhood experiences as a child refugee with my parents from the Nazis. And we fled my native Vienna at night just with what we could carry. My parents were able to obtain an entry permit to Cuba, one of the two places in the world that we could go to. The other one was Shanghai, China. And uh, there I grew up in the industrial slums of Havana, uh, experiencing at first until my parents got back on their feet, uh, poverty, surrounded by poverty. And all this really led me to questions that I'm sure many of you have asked. Does it have to be this way? when we humans have such an enormous capacity for caring, for sensitivity, for creativity, why has there been so much insensitivity, violence, destructiveness? And fast forward many years, it was these questions that eventually led to my multidisciplinary cross-cultural research. And what did you find with your research? Well, what I found was that you have to, well, Einstein said it. He said, you cannot solve problems with the same thinking that created them, with the same consciousness or lack of consciousness, really, that created them. Uh, it was only when I stepped back and really looked at the patterns, forgot about the conventional social categories, and looked at the patterns, the configurations that kept repeating themselves cross-culturally, trans-historically, and yes, drawing from many disciplines, not just one, uh, I was able to connect the dots. 
I was able to see two configurations. There were no names for them. So I called one the domination system. And yes, it's what we're trying to leave behind. It's uh, what happened in our prehistory, the imposition of top-down authoritarian, rigidly male-dominated, punitive, violent societies, and what how we lived, how we lived for millennia, and what we're trying to really recover in many really disconnected ways, but it's all part of a movement towards what I've called a partnership configuration, uh, in which in families, uh, in education, in religion, in politics, in economics, you have a very, very different social configuration. So can you speak about how these different paradigms, this domination and partnership configuration plays out in societies today? Absolutely. For millennia foraging societies that uh, the anthropologist and my co-author of Nurturing Our Humanity, the anthropologist Douglas Fry, uh, calls the original partnership societies. They conform to that configuration. In The Chalice and the Blade, I talk about Chatanhuyak, for example, the largest Neolithic society ever discovered. And the, one of the people who excavated that society is most recently Ian Harder, uh, in a film, uh, interview. And there is a film, Human, uh, Humankind being made on my life and my work. Uh, he says, yes, these were partnership societies, Gylanic societies, to use one of the terms that's gender specific that I coined. Uh, Minoan Crete was another example, an outlier, really, after the shift to a domination system was beginning to really take root all over, but it was an island in the Mediterranean. No signs of destructions from warfare for, like, like in Chatanfuyak, for a thousand years. In, in Minoan Crete, no signs of of any conflict between the various city-states of armed conflicts, no fortifications. Women played a major role. It was before women became really male chattels, technologies of sexuality and of reproduction, and that's it. This was not the case in our prehistory, and it is also, again, fast-forwarding, if you look at Northern European nations, like Finland, like Sweden, like Norway, like Denmark, uh, they're not socialists. They're more partnership-oriented societies. Uh, they are, first of all, in both the family and the state or tribe, they are really much, much more democratic, more egalitarian. And men... Uh, I mean, they, they too have a domination heritage, but they're getting rid of it more and more and more. So more men are doing the so-called women's work today, not only in the, uh, in these Nordic nations, but in, in all over the world, really, uh, we're finding men doing so-called women work, women's work of feeding babies, diapering babies. I mean, 
But this relates to the second uh, really cornerstone of these systems, of partnership systems. Women in these nations are 40 to 50 percent of the national legislature, but they really are, are, are societies in which they, they call themselves often caring societies. They have universal child care uh, with good pay, good training. You know, we have a very, this gender system of values is so peculiar. I mean, we insist that, for example, plumbers be trained, you know, the people to whom we entrust our pipes, right? But we don't insist that child care workers be trained and paid well. I mean, this is reality stood on its head, isn't it? And we need to stand reality on its right side up. Uh, and of course, uh, but it isn't that only that women are trained to be caring in domination systems. It's a dynamic of these systems that as the status of women rises, men too, because it's men who also vote for these caring policies, you know, a good, a very uh, uh, extensive paid parental leave for both mothers and fathers, for example, caring for the environment. As the status of women rises, men no longer feel it's such a threat to their status, to their masculinity as defined in the old domination system. So they too vote for caring policies. And of course, uh, if you look at these societies, yes, they do a value caring for people, starting at birth and caring for our natural life support systems. They're way ahead of us in uh, combating climate change by, you know, really uh, carbon emissions are lower, etc. They're not perfect. Uh, and it is not true that it, that they're that way because they're that they're relatively homogeneous. The reality is that they these nations invest more proportionately in caring for people in in the developed world, people who are not genetically related to them by any means. Uh, it's that they conform more to the partnership domination social scale and and really conform more to the partnership configuration. So it's a lot that I'm trying to communicate here, but we do need to free ourselves from the categories we have inherited from more rigid domination times. You are listening to the Power of Partnership podcast. If you would like us to share your partnership story, or if you would like to become a proud sponsor of the POP podcast, please contact us at center at partnershipway.org. And now back to today's episode. Um, you know, it, it, it is really interesting if you look at modern history uh, through, the, through this lens, what you see is that every single progressive, social movement has actually challenged the same thing, a tradition of domination, whether it was the Enlightenment, so-called rights of man movement, uh, challenging the so-called divinely ordained, you know, I mean, that's it, you know, God-fearing and divinely ordained, 
are the two catchwords, really, in domination-oriented religion. So it was supposed to be divinely ordained that kings and nobles rule over their co-subjects. Then, if you look at the abolitionists, the anti-colonial, the civil rights, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, what are they challenging? Another tradition of domination, the so-called, again, divinely ordained right of a, quote, superior race to rule over an inferior one. Um, if you look at the feminist movement, uh, the contemporary global women's rights movement, they're challenging another so-called divinely ordained right of men to rule over the women and children in the, quote, castles, you know, a military metaphor of their homes, all the way to the environmental movement, challenging our once hallowed and idealized conquest and domination of nature, that at our level of technology, of population, is about to do us in. So, uh, but we have failed to pay sufficient attention to these four cornerstones of family, of gender, of economics, and of story and language. And we must. We need an integrated frame. And the partnership domination social scale gives us that frame. So let's talk just a bit about your books. You, you've authored numerous books. You've already spoken a touch about The Chalice and the Blade. And of course, the title of this podcast series is The Power of Partnership. And today's episode featuring you is titled The Partnership Way, which are two of the books that you've written. Can you speak a little bit about how these two books came to be and how our listeners can learn from these books, how to move towards the partnership end of the continuum throughout the, all aspects of their lives? Well, these are really workbooks that you're talking about. You know, the first uh, two books uh, drawing from my research were The Chalice and the Blade. The subtitle is our history, our future, and that's exactly what it's about. And it really is about our history, uh, both halves of, you know, there are two forms of humanity, male and female. And if you rank one over the other, and if you also have these rigid gender stereotypes, which you need for this ranking, mm -hmm. uh, what you get is what we've got, which is in-group versus out-group thinking. Whether it's based on difference becomes equated with dominating or being dominated, uh, with superiority and inferiority, with being served or serving, right? The second book that I wrote, which was called Sacred Pleasure, which is in itself a heresy, because <laughs> think about it, domination systems are really based on fear of pain, aren't they? Uh, the second book, Sex, Myth, and the Politics of the Body, is the subtitle uh, of a book that applies the partnership domination social scale to both sexuality and spirituality. And it's one of my favorite books, actually. But then I started to turn to what do we do? There are three books, actually, dealing with that. Uh, one that I'll just quickly touch upon is called Tomorrow's Children. And it's about education, obviously. And um, I 
really thinks that we have to pay a lot of attention to that. I mean, think about it. Uh, not so long ago, physical punishment was built into even Western education, and it still is in the United States. Uh, children can be paddled, can be caned in many of our states still, according to the law. Because if you think about what happens to children in domination families, fear, uh, and a lot of rage, and a lot of pain, um, and what happens in domination systems is a dynamic again, that this fear, this rage, this pain is then deflected into in-group versus out-group thinking against the bad, both the weak, just as, as they were. I mean, think about that. Uh, and, and so you get this in-group versus out-group, uh, violence, rage, anger, uh, and, and we've got to really understand that this is not something that we can blame individual families for. This is something characteristic of families, of the ideal norm for families, really, in domination systems. But getting now to your question, which I eventually will, hmm. uh, uh, both the partnership way, which I wrote with my wonderful late husband, David Lloyd, uh, it's a workbook for both chalice and for a sacred pleasure to really, with a lot of experiential exercises uh, and so forth, and I really highly recommend it. And then there's also uh, the power of partnership, like the name of our wonderful podcast with you. But it is really, well, it won the Nautilus Award as the best uh, uh, self-help book of that year. First of all, each chapter has going further, uh, you know, questions, exercises, etc. But um, it starts with how we relate to ourselves. And yes, it uses the partnership domination social scale. Uh, do we have this, no this noise in our heads, this voice telling us we're not good enough, um, you know, etc. And it isn't, as I said, and I want to emphasize this, our parents' fault. I mean, they just passed on what they were exposed to and what they were taught was good parenting. And you know that there are still so-called Christian parenting guides in the United States that recommend inflicting pain on children uh, so that, quote, that they learn that the parent's word is law. I mean, think about that. Think of how that socializes us to identify with strongman leaders who also are punitive and with in-group versus out-group policies and actions. Uh, so the uh, really the power of partnership goes on then to our intimate relations, you know, family and other intimate relations, to our work and community relations, but it doesn't stop there because it's all of one class. It then goes on to our national relations, our international relations, our relationships 
with our Mother Earth, with nature, with our natural life support systems, and to our spiritual relations, because spirituality can be very much, you know, religion, uh, the spirituality of our conventional religions that we've inherited. I mean, think about it, you know, sometimes I say it as a joke that when I get really depressed about what's happening in our world, I think of the European Middle Ages. Why? Because they looked a lot like the Taliban. They really oriented to the domination configuration. There were some partnership elements, but the Inquisition, the Crusades, the witch burnings, um, human rights, forget it, women and children's rights. I mean, that was just beyond the pale. So think about the fact that we have, as I said, been moving forward, but we must have a really coordinated social, political, economic, and family agenda. Because we really need to come together. If you think of the trends towards partnership, they're all over. I mean, these thousands and thousands of non-governmental organizations that we have working on climate change, working on domestic, so-called domestic violence. And it's violence and it's mm -hmm. fundamental violence. We have to understand the dynamics of how systems work. And it isn't just simple linear causes and effects, it's interactions. And we've been taught, I mean, I know I woke up as if from a long drug sleep to suddenly realize that in all my years of so-called higher education, you know, there had been hardly anything by, about, or for people like me, women. And it's beginning to slowly change, but much too slowly. And it's all an add-on. You know, mm -hmm. women's, I mean, women's studies, men's studies, gender studies, they're an add-on. They need to be part of every part of the curriculum. Uh, we need integrated cross-cultural education. And we are working on it at the Center for Partnership Systems. Which is a wonderful segue into what I wanted to ask you to speak about in more detail is the Center for Partnership Systems, how that was founded, and what types of resources and support can our listeners find at the Center? Well, it was really founded as uh, there was such a response. You know, I didn't know how the chalice and the blade, which challenges so many givens, right, would be received. But uh, first of all, I mean, one response was, I've always known this somehow, but you have brought forth the evidence for it. You know, and, and, and that, that has been really marvelous. So the center was founded as a response to that response. And it was, uh, Chalice first came out, uh, in, um, 86, 1986. Uh, so the center is over 35 years old now. And, um, it's pretty amazing for, uh, for a not-for-profit to last that long. And we've done many, many things. And if you go to our website, centerforpartnership.org, you'll look at history. You'll see, uh, how, uh, how we have really had an impact. But to come to right now and to come to the resources, we offer many resources. First of all, for families. We offer a caring and connected parenting guide. 
Alicia Rando wrote it based on really the newest neuroscience. It's been endorsed by top pediatricians, but it's available for free in both English and in Spanish, and it's short and it's to the point. Uh, we have developed uh, a technology toolkit uh, because technology is really values neutral. It depends on how it is programmed, right? We see that very much and how it is used. Um, and uh, yes, we also have now shortened it and uh, condensed it and up, up, you know, updated it also for general use. And it's really uh, asking us to really look at our socialization. And yes, uses the partnership nomination social scale uh, and the four cornerstones. We are working on a new uh, index. You know, as I said, uh, I wrote a book, The Real Wealth of Nations, and the subtitle is Creating a Caring Economics, a Caring Economics of Partnerism that really recognizes the economic value of caring for people, starting at birth and caring for our natural life support systems. And there are statistics on this, but like our social movements, we're all over the place, like mm -hmm. the progressive social movements, you know, whereas it's really all part of the partnership movement. So we we are trying to bring this together. It's about, we launched the first iteration and you can find out about it at our website. Um, in 2014 with a grant from the Kellogg Foundation. We were trying to, to really show not just a snapshot of what is like so-called other, other so-called uh, GDP alternatives, but also show what investments, what inputs create better outputs. And there's no question like the United States uh, has the highest uh, child mortality, the highest uh, infant poverty, no child, uh, uh, child poverty rate, the highest maternal poverty, you know, um, mortality rate of any developed quote unquote nation. And not coincidentally, we invest the least in family support. Uh, now is the time because the old institutions, the old operating systems, whether they're economic or family or social, are not responding in this period of rapid technological, social, uh, economic climate change. I mean, with so much of the population in denial, which is built into domination families, by the way. Uh, I mean, it, it, it is really something that we need to understand and we need, well, what we need is a partnership, social, political, and family agenda. And that's why I keep, you know, really pushing uh, for read the real wealth of nations, read the chalice and the blade, and read nurturing our humanity, because the evidence is so strong. In addition, the center's courses are another way to dig deeper yes. into this information. 
You can sign up at the center's website, which is centerforpartnership.org. There will also be a link in the show notes for today's uh, episode. So, Rian, before we end our discussion, I wonder if you have any final closing words for our listeners. Well, I believe in human creativity. Um, And if we know it's not just about deconstruction, about disruption. This work is about reconstruction. And we have historically uh, learned that people respond much better to, if if we know what we're trying to build, uh, that is so very, very important. And that's what this work is all about, is to not just show what we're trying to leave behind, but what are we trying to build? And we're always back to the four cornerstones of family and childhood, of gender, which are marginalized, ignored, uh, economics, but a new economics, a caring economics of partnerism, and yes, story and language, especially our stories about, quote, human nature, which are false, which are untrue. And we're finding out from neuroscience uh, and from many, many disciplines, really. Uh, for example, we feel good, don't we, when we care for others, uh, whether it's for a lover or for a, a mother or a father, for a child, even for a pet. That's human nature. We want caring connections, and we need a social, economic, and political and family system that rewards this. And we can have it, we have had it, and we can, and there there are millions of people in the world in bits and pieces trying to build it. So let's do it. Thank you for listening to the Power of Partnership podcast. We're grateful to Rising Appalachia for the use of resilience as our Power of Partnership theme music. If you would like us to feature your partnership story, or if you would like to be a proud sponsor of the Power of Partnership podcast, please contact us at center at partnershipway.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will leave us a review on your favorite podcast channel. And don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. I'm Cherry Jacobs Pruitt. See you next time on the Power of Partnership podcast. I am resilient. I trust the movement. I negate the chaos. Uplift the negative. I'll show up at the table again and again and again. I'll close my mouth and learn to live.